Vision Edge gives you less eye strain and reduced damage caused by blue light. We like to call Vision Edge sunscreen for the eye. It all starts with your highest level of visual performance, only achievable through scientifically proven Vision Edge. The premium kit for dry eye treatment. The premium choice for your patients. Introducing the Eye Doctor Plus, the hot and cold eye compress treatment kit with antibacterial shield, washable cover and eyelid wipes. Visit 1-800-OPTI-SOURCE and type code open your eyes for a special promo. This is Dr. Kerry Gell, host of Open Your Eyes. And do you have athletes in your family? Do you have little kids that play sports? Are there older kids in your family that play sports? Are you somebody who plays sports that wants to play sports better? Today, I have a very special guest. Did you know that the eye, that 70% of your brain comes from, is, is because of the eye, that the the brain takes up 70% of the space is from the eye. Today we have an expert on sports vision. I bet people out there didn't know that they could actually improve their sports performance by exercising their eyes. Today I have a very special guest, Dr. Larry Lampert, who practices in Boca Raton, Florida. He performs sports vision training and evaluations on both pro and amateur athletes and all different types of sports. To make it even more interesting, he works with law enforcement to train visual, visual skills to improve their, uh, their, their performance. He's been featured on the Golf Channel, NBC Sports, the Lifetime Channel, PGA uh, Tour Radio, as well as numerous publications. He's the author of Pro Edge, Vision Training for Golf, and the owner of Eye Performance Systems, where he does presentations, consultations, and has developed Visual Skills app. Dr. Lampert, thank you for joining us today. What a resume. Yeah, thank you, Kerry. Good so to see you. you. It's good to see you. Can you explain to me the difference between vision and eyesight? Well, eyesight is typically what most eye doctors check for, which is how do you read letters on a chart? certain size letters on the chart. The chart has been around since before the Civil War to see who could hold a rifle, and yet it's the standard of eye care today. Um, vision is the ability to take in information with the eyes and have it lead action. Say it's hitting a baseball, uh, lining up a putt, reading the greens, or uh, catching a ball in the outfield. Great, so how did you become interested in sports vision? That's, uh, I grew up, my father had optical shops, so I thought, you know, you made glasses, you did eye exams for um, seeing the chart. And I did, got interested in vision therapy when a guest lecturer came into our optometry school and lectured how different lenses tighten and loosen back muscles and how we could train the eyes. So I did an internship in Philadelphia with Dr. Marcus, and he actually had a branch office at the Spectrum where they were training the Philadelphia Flyers. So I said, oh, wow, you do this for athletes, too. And then the rest is just history. You know, and the more I learned, the more I didn't know. But I, you know, went along the journey. And now, you know, I've been doing it for 25, 30 years. So I feel like I know a little something. And uh, I've been quite successful training athletes. So tell us, what is vision therapy? It's a lot of different things. I mean, in the area of sports, it's, I look at it as three pillars. One would be uh, making an athlete aware of his system. Is he right or left eye dominant? How it affects his sport? Does he have what's called a phoria, P-H-O-R-I-A, which means do his eyes drift out or in from position if I cover one eye, and that'll affect depth judgments. Um, and just making him aware of all these different things with his particular system, different weaknesses and strengths, the focusing system, the eye alignment system, and then giving him tips based on that information. You know, are we a right-handed, right-eyed player, right-handed, left-eyed player? And the information might be different for that. Do I have a player where I'll tend to think they're gonna swing earlier, late at pitches as they fatigue? And then the third is working with eye exercises to strengthen a system, balance out the eye muscles that converge and diverge the eyes and the muscles that actually shift focus from distance to near, say a baseball coming at you at 90 plus miles an hour. So there's exercises we designed to do that, um, that improve performance as well 
as teaching an athlete how they access the zone with the visual system, which is how do I make the ball bigger, move slower perceptually, as opposed to uh, tunneling vision, being at stress, losing that zone where the ball's smaller, moving faster. And in police work, we call that body alarm reaction, you know, fight or flight, fine motor control goes down and tunnel vision. Do, do athletes even understand that they can train their visual system? Uh, they're learning that more today. When I started 25 years ago, I'd have pro athletes come into the office and I would ask them, do you know if you're right or left eye dominant? And I would get the deer in the headlight look like, you know, what are you talking about? Now there's more athletes because of publications, golf publications, and in baseball, uh, sports vision infiltrating the teams, the pro teams a little more. There are more athletes who have some awareness of it and come to me or us because of that. Do many teams, professional teams, have a sports vision eye doctor? Uh, there's a few of them. I wouldn't say 100%. Uh, I've worked with the Minnesota Twins, the Cardinals, and it's always on the minor league systems. Um, they, they don't quite push it up to the majors, at least the teams I've been involved with. And the minor leagues have been very successful. The first year I worked with the Twins, two minor league teams, one went off, I think about 30 points in team batting average, maybe the other one was about 17, between the mid-season and the end of the season, once they started doing training, um, you know, then they brought us back for more work with them. So, you know, it's been significant, but again, the pro, the major league guys uh, tends to be less that they don't want to mess with these guys as much. And, you know, right now, I think the Twins, we maybe have like 10, 12 guys on the major league roster that we've worked with over the years when they were in the minors, so that's quite... Uh, well, that's that's fantastic. I'm a big baseball fan, big baseball buff, and I have a 10-year-old that plays baseball, mm -hmm. and I've started to do some of these exercises with him and actually make sure that he's eating foods that increase his macular pigment. Can well, you talk about macular pigment, how that could be helpful? Well, the more macular pigment, the better it would be for night games, contrast sensitivity, um, being able to pick up the finer movements of the ball. But again, a lot of it's training and just even, um, you know, the two best hitters in the minor league system that I've worked with have come to me independently of each other and said, you know, when I get a hit, I can't even remember seeing the ball. And that's because I feel like we're training what's called instinctive reflexes. And to go back in the story a little bit, you have to explain that there's two visual systems not one. There's the one where you read the letters on the chart, your focal or center vision, and that's what all the other eye doctors look at and they make sure you see it well with glasses. You have a peripheral processing system, I call it. So we all think peripheral vision is way out here, but it actually starts here and goes out from there. And when we read the chart, we move our eyes from letter to letter because the part of the eye that reads the letters is small. And the rest is this peripheral processing. This peripheral processing goes into the brain 25% faster than the part of the eye that reads the letters on the chart. And 20% of this goes to your balance. So I call this your protection and navigation system. Protection in the sense that when you're driving down the road, you see a threat or a car coming at you from the side. Before you know it, you're avoiding an accident. And I call that an instinctive reflex. It goes right from the side vision to your body to avoid an accident. It's also navigation. Think about every time you walk through a doorway, or you walk down a hallway, it's your guidance system. When you drive down the road for five minutes daydreaming or thinking about your shopping list, you're all on that system. And if something happens to wake it up and you have to respond to a situation, you'll do that. So this system in sports, if we can expand into that system, that's what makes the ball bigger, moving slower. And the opposite is if we're under stress, we tunnel that vision and the ball's smaller, moving faster. So, you know, getting back to that is basically part of training would be how does an athlete access the zone? How do law enforcement, how do they walk into a room, have to draw a weapon and not tunnel their vision and it's a threat over to the side? So there's training elements we do for that. So how do you train peripheral vision to get them to be able to be in that zone? I remember watching the World Series a number of years ago and David Ortiz, he was hitting the ball. It looked like he was hitting a beach ball. It was so easy right. for him. Yeah, I think he even said that at one point, like, wow, for the last couple of weeks, you know, the ball's been like a beach ball. Whether they know it or they don't know it, they're accessing peripheral awareness to do that. Some of the training elements I use are something called vectorgrams or computer elements where 
you know, 3D glasses are put on and, and the athlete will look at a target on the wall. And when they expand into their periphery, they'll become consciously aware of the periphery, the walls, the ceiling, um, the image will come out further towards them. And as they tunnel the vision, it'll go flatter. So they learn how to identify what they're doing to get them into that zone, as well as I want to teach them what they're doing when they're not in that zone. And even the ancient Hawaiians had a walking meditation they called Hakalau, and they would walk the earth, be aware of their breathing, and be as much aware of their side vision as they could be. It was a walking meditation for them called Hakalau. So it can be as simple as just consciously being aware of your side vision more and more through these type of meditations can also help make the ball bigger, move slower, and might also help get rid of the yips in golf when you get that nervousness thing. You know, the, the peripheral expansion, we call it, is the relaxation response for the visual system. You've worked a lot with golfers. You know, you watch when the pressure's on, somebody like Tiger Woods mm -hmm. plays better. And yeah. then you have the other players, the pressure's on. Obviously, they're just they're both good players. But when the pressure's on, all of a sudden they start, they start choking. How much yeah. is that related to the, vi the vision and how much of that could be trained? And how much is that with may maybe psychology is part of it? Well, I was just going to mention psychology. You know, that's a huge part of sports today, especially in golf. You know, sports psychology to learn how to control that. And just like nothing's 100% of the time for 100% of the people. So I think some people under stress, they do better. Some people under stress, they don't. And it's an individual thing. Um, as far as accessing it through vision, it would be a couple different things. One would be peripheral expansion exercises. And the other thing is saccadic fixation, fixations, where you might tell a player, pick two treetops and I want you to move your eyes back and forth, that tree, that tree, and go back and forth. And it kind of swirls the peripheral system. There's actually, I forget the name of it, a psychology technique where, um, I forget what it is, but where the psychologist has someone bring up a trauma and then move their eyes left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, to supposedly help with the trauma. So again, it's the same type of thing we're telling, we used to tell golfers before this came out, to look from treetop to treetop, back and forth, to kind of calm the system. Interesting. Talk about eye dominance mm -hmm. and how that's important and the difference in the speed that goes from the dominant to the non-dominant, the nose getting involved. Explain that. Exactly. That's probably the most valuable, fastest tip I give an athlete right out of the gate is to figure out their eye dominance. And just like you're right or left-handed, you're either right-handed right-eyed or right-handed left-eyed. Uh, you're either right or left-eyed. The dominant eye speed goes into the brain 21 milliseconds faster than the non-dominant eye. And probably just or more important is the fact that you use the line of sight from your dominant eye to tell where the ball is. So one of the demonstrations I'll do with an athlete, and I'm right-handed, right-eyed, would be, well, put your finger up and kind of cover my nose, and I'll, and I'll go like this. And if I close my left eye, well, my right eye, the finger stays on the nose. I'm looking at or the object I'm looking at. If I close it and move to my left eye, all of a sudden it moves over to the side. So my right eye is telling me exactly where that ball is. So in baseball, we can have same side dominant players, which um, is about 80% of the general population is same side dominant. But in pro baseball, they think over 50% of the players are cross dominant. In other words, being right-handed, but left eye towards the pitcher dominant eye is an advantage for natural selection to bring these guys up into the major league ball. Now let's say tennis, you've got a tennis player who is right-handed, let's say left-eyed, which is an advantage for baseball, could be a disadvantage in tennis because the left eye now is telling them where the tennis ball is. And if they come around for a backhand and the nose blocks that left eye on the ball, it'll take the same shift that my finger took. And they'll have trouble with backhand sometimes, not be able to figure it out. Some of them naturally will go into a two-handed backhand because that helps them control the dominant eye and keep it out on the court. So part of this is just awareness of dominant eye, coaching an athlete about what can he do for his particular sport. And the number one thing that helps people the quickest in golf is I tell people when you're over the putt, we want the dominant eye over the back tip of the ball so that a right-handed right-eyed golfer might position a little differently than a right-handed left-eyed golfer. We also want the eyes directly over the putt, um, you know what I mean, perpendicular to the line. So that's some of the advice we give where sports vision training can just be coaching, letting an athlete 
become aware of his system and some things to change in its batter stance or the way it positions over a putt. So if somebody's hitting a baseball and they're left eye dominant, but their head position isn't right, I've heard you speak about that. Yeah, in other words, we'll have players, you know, open and close the eyes and see, is your dominant eye blocked on the release where the pitcher releases the ball? And, you know, it's funny, they talk about, um, the psychologist will tell you it's impossible to hit a baseball because it takes seven tenths of a second for all the wiring to go on in the brain, but yet the pitch only lasts four tenths of a second. And I used to say it, it takes two tenths of a second for a batter to decide to swing. Now I think it's two tenths of a second for the batter to decide not to swing. I think they're ready to swing and they decide to hold back on the swing. So these psychologists said it's just impossible to hit this baseball, so how do we do it? How we do it is we have the wiring set up in the brain to do the task, even though the task is faster than the brain wiring. And um, they took major league hitters like even Ted Williams, put them up against a softball, female softball pitcher, they'd strike these guys out. They just didn't have the wiring in the brain to hit a softball coming bigger, slower at a different angle. They had the wiring for the faster pitches. So I always thought that was interesting. You would think that, oh, it's easier to hit softball, right? But these guys were struck out by these softball pitchers. I'm down in Florida, and the female softball coach at FAU, Florida Atlantic University, I believe is in the Guinness Book of Records because she struck out Ted Williams. So he couldn't hit her. I remember didn't have, seeing, the wiring, didn't have the wiring. I remember seeing Albert Pujols strike out to uh, a famous softball pitcher. Yeah. Barry Bonds, you know, he was yeah. – he, he was he was real intent on being able to hit that. Yeah. So different wiring and the job of sports vision training is, you know, I said this instinctive reflex. Hitting a baseball is an instinctive reflex. It's right from eyes to body. And my two big hitters for the Twins in the minor league didn't even remember seeing the ball. It was subcortical. It went right from the vision to the body reaction. You know, so this is part of being in that zone. So what vision training does is it speeds up the message of the vision going to the brain and the body to then give you a quicker reaction to hit a baseball and read it better more quickly. Let's break down baseball, you know, from the pitch, you know, to the catcher, how long it takes, what happens if you blink, when you have to make a decision. Uh, give, us, give us that slowly, how that all works and the okay. timing of that. My model is- to understand. Right, it's taking four tenths of a second for the ball to go from the pitcher to the plate. And within that four tenths of a second, the human eye is picking up the whole body language of the pitcher. In other words, um, they used to think the pitcher, the, the batter was actually looking at where the ball came out of the hand. And I remember the minor league uh, field coordinator asking me, where do I tell my guys to look when they're at bat? I said, well, you can't. You know, you're just reading body language and how do you know where the, the hand's gonna be when it like, Let's go with the ball. It's just an instinctive reflex involving the center and all of the peripheral vision. So four tenths of a second, the ball is released. Within that time, within two tenths of a second, the decision is made not to swing or to swing at it. And they're taking their best instinctual reflex from the peripheral processing. And again, they used to think that the batter would see the ball coming out of the hand. And when they studied these batters, they would notice that maybe the eyes were fixated somewhere off the hand, like maybe down here. And my opinion is that puts that ball in that peripheral vision zone where the message is going into the brain 25% faster than the part of the eye that reads the letters on the chart. I actually have one pro ball player I work with who told me when he's at bat, he actually looks towards the shortstop and never even looks at the pitcher. He's doing it all with peripheral vision. Not that I advocate, not that I advocate that for all the players, but that was his way of doing it. He was successful with it. And Side the, vision goes in 25% faster. And the eye doesn't have enough speed to be able to see it all the way in, so it has to make a prediction. Right, exactly. And that's part of this whole peripheral system, how you get out of that car accident when you say, boy, I didn't even realize that was happening. I never even saw the other guy. I just avoided an accident. It's all this instinctive reflex, I call it. Vision to body with nothing else in between. And again, I repeat, these two, major, two minor league hitters who told me they can't even remember seeing the ball when they hit it. It's just vision the body. Like, you know, the, the frog take, taking a bug off a lily pad with its tongue, boom, it's just a reflex. And how can they improve that prediction? How can they improve that hitting? 
What kind of right. techniques do you use? Well, I use eye muscle training of convergence and diverge. There's two different areas. One is like make the ball bigger, move slower perceptually. The second is by actually training the focusing system and the eye movement system of the eyes. The eyes can converge and they can diverge. And I'll build up the strength and flexibility of those muscles in a certain way. You know, not just like, you know, it's like bicep to tricep. You can't just arbitrarily just build a tricep or a bicep. You have to do it with a balance to each other, make sure it's balanced. And earlier I mentioned something called a phoria, P-H-O-R-I-A. And you can kind of look at that if you look at something across the room and go like, oh, I'm going to cover one eye, the other eye. I'm looking at you. And all of a sudden you're kind of moving right, left, right, left right, left a little bit. And for some players, it'll do the opposite, you know, left, right, left, right. And when it moves the same direction, that's called exophoria. And that means when I cover the eye, it drifts out from alignment a little bit. These players tend to swing late at pitches. So they always think they're amazed by my predictions. I find this for you and I go like, oh, I bet when you get tired, you swing late at pitches. They go, well, how do you know? And I had the, uh, one of the Cardinals hitting coaches that he had the opposite movement. I said, well, I, you know, I think you probably used to swing early at pitches. He said, well, yeah, how did you know? I used to hit him over the, the dugout all the time. You know, I was swinging too soon. So these predict these type of things for us. Where an athlete runs into problems is if this phoria fluctuates on them. In other words, there's real measurements I can take of this. You know, I break fusion, line things, have you line things up with your eyes? Is it a three, is it a four, is it a five? Some of these athletes, it'll be different every time I measure it. So that means they have a fluctuating phoria. So as they fatigue through the game, as that phoria or the angle of drift between the two eyes changes, their depth judgment changes and they're less consistent. So part of vision therapy is can I train these muscles that the phoria is, say, a three all the time? It, it does not be zero or it does not be two. It just has to be more consistently the same all the time so that judgments are the same over time. And I actually had a horse rider, uh, actually two, one Olympic and one trying to be Olympic, where they were having trouble judging when to initiate the jump over the gate, you know, for their, their event. And both of them had huge fluctuations in this phoria. So it was causing their judgment of where the gate actually was when they're trotting towards it, where it was. And then I had a female pro golfer that her measurement would go anywhere, she was esophoric, which means you know the eyes were crossing when I cover one eye, anywhere from two to 18 when I measured it. And she would say something to me like, you know, I look at the hole, I look back at my putter, and when I look back at the hole, I feel like it just moved five inches on me. I don't know where it is. So that was a very extreme, most extreme case I've had of this. Most of the time it's very subtle and the athlete doesn't even know that it's affecting their judgments throughout the game or throughout 18 to 36 holes of golf. How long does it take to get results when you start training these people? It's uh, anywhere from three weeks to three months is usually what I have found. My quickest was someone from the Cardinals. They called me up and they said, well, I have a new rookie minor league player. He's striking out 67% of the time and he's batting 109. And we brought this guy in and we're paying him, you know, go figure this thing out. So I went up to the hotel where they were at, and what I found is that um, things were pretty normal until I put them on what's called a bullseye target. The bullseye target is a clear sheet of plastic with bullseye rings on them clear in the center. And you go like, okay, make it clear far away, now make the rings clear. You know, you flex your focusing muscle back and forth one eye at a time. One eye was very quick and rapid, one eye was slow and sluggish. And he actually said to me, you know, when I swing at a pitch, I always swing when it's at the same distance from the batter. I can't really tell where it is. And that's because one eye was just physically focusing, like the auto zoom on a camera, slower than the other eye. Within two to three weeks of training him with flippers like this, which have different lens power, make it clear, make it clear, make it clear, make it clear, to simulate the eye focusing in and out. And that bullseye target, he went to 22% strikeouts, and batted 297. So this was a three-week case where I figured out what it was very quickly. I tend to find simple solutions. They call it Occam's, Occam's razor. Sometimes the simplest solutions are the best. Sometimes I assign a player one exercise, two exercises. It's not about having 12 or 14 exercises and have to work it 40 minutes a day. 
you know, you find exactly what they need and that's the exercise you give them. And I actually had these flippers, we train and test with them. So we have what's called a minus flipper, which means you have to bring your focus in like a ball's coming to you. And a plus flipper, you move your focus out. So I had one high school ball player come to me from Philadelphia and he you know, was a pitcher, but he was batting 300, which wasn't bad, but I found he couldn't make the side clear that was ball coming at him. So all I worked with him with was these flippers. He went home to Philadelphia, went through a series of flippers that got stronger, stronger, stronger. And I guess you can only do this in high school, but he ended up batting 700 once he just worked with a simple set of flippers like this. He was in high school, 700. I think he's with the Phillies minor league now. But sometimes it's very simple solutions just to find out exactly what it is. And getting back to your original question, it's, it's the focusing with flippers like this and then working the muscles, like you'd work a bicep and a tricep in a proportion to each other. You know, you don't make one strong without making the other one strong. You have to make the convergence and the divergence not quite equal, but relatively equal and build them up in a proportion to each other. So you build strength, flexibility, stamina of the eye muscle system, and then stabilize that foria so that we don't have a guy hitting great hits in the first three innings and starting to swing late later in the game because that system breaks down. So strength, flexibility, stamina, being able to hold it. I have to ask you, did that Cardinal player make it? Did he ever make it to the majors? I don't think so. You know what I mean? He just had some other basic, but he, but you know, he certainly improved. Well, that's great. I kind so, of lost track of him. Is there anything that uh, somebody could do at home to see what, if they're having some visual skills problems that would, so they could go into the optometrist to get examined? Boy, that's a good question. Um, I would say, base it on your performance. You know, do you swing late? Do you swing early? Are you inconsistent? Are you a kid that used to get great hits and all of a sudden now the pitching 60 miles an hour and you're not hitting anymore? You probably have a weakness in the eye teaming system that you could handle slower pitches, but not faster pitches. You can do the FORIA test back and forth, back and forth. Do things move? Do they move with my hand? Do they move against the direction of my hand? Does the amount of movement change? If I do that for 30 seconds to a minute, if the amount of movement changes, then you have a fluctuating foria. Then you have, would have to go to the right optometrist, somebody who understands what we're doing here and just doesn't prescribe glasses all day, someone who does performance work or functional work, and let them really analyze your system, give them some simple exercises. I mean, I have people who just call my office and we put them on our software program. It, it will build up those muscles in a systematic way you know, iPerformance.com. They'll call Sharon in my office. We'll set them up. She'll coach them over the phone how to use it. And they're on their way doing eye exercises. Um, it's interesting because even the software, we've used it with the twins, the Palm Beach Sheriff's Office, the SWAT team. And when I first started working with the twins, we'd spend the day just screening these guys. And they got to the point of just don't bother screening them, just train them. And we would find that the training element, especially the virgins activities, you know, where we're that test and train the muscle system, that gave us all our answers right there. And we would know, oh, they're weak at converging the eyes, they're weak at diverging the eyes, they're weak at both, they're strong at one but weak at the other. We could tell all that just from the way they were functioning on that software program. And we'd build them up so that their system was functionally more optimally for the sport they had to play. And you know, you made me think of the first pro ball player I ever worked with was a guy named Doug Jennings for the Cubs. 20 maybe some years ago, he came to me and he said, you know, I have Ted Williams eyes, but I can't see the ball when it's 90 miles an hour. And he came in, he actually had 2010 vision. This guy could see half the size of 2020. I never had anyone read the chart as quickly and as accurately with one eye at a time on 2010 line as this guy, but yet he couldn't see a ball 90 miles an hour. He couldn't track it. So I said, well, you don't have Ted Williams eyes because Ted could track that ball all the way in. After vision training, he um, actually went to Japan during the strike, became most valuable player, consecutive home run record, 17 hits at 21 at bats. They flew him back to Japan to throw out the first pitch of the World Series one year. He was a big hero over there. They called him DJ. DJ he was on the subway pictures and subway trains and billboards. And he would tell you it was all the vision training. He had all the mechanics training in the world. He had 2010 vision, but till he worked on his eye muscles a little bit, he couldn't hit anything over 90 miles an hour. 
the premium kit for dry eye treatment the premium choice for your patients introducing the eye doctor plus the hot and cold eye compress treatment kit with antibacterial shield washable cover and eyelid wipes visit 1-800-OPTI-SOURCE and type code open your eyes for a special promo macular degeneration is a leading cause of vision loss with 15 percent of americans being at risk or already affected scientific evidence proves that by using mesozeaxanthin lutein and zeaxanthin together replenishes the macular pigment and promotes healthier vision this formula comes in only one product macuhealth have they ever done any studies like the great hitters before vision therapy or sports vision, what their eyes were like compared to the 250 hitters. Has that ever been done? You know what? I don't know. I'm not aware of it. It could have been done, and I just don't know about it. But I would assume they have pretty top-notch visual skills just naturally. You know, like someone like a Ted Williams who could just see the ball into the bat, and I don't think he just saw it with his center vision. Think about the lack of efficiency of following with the center part of your eye every time the tennis ball hits the tennis racket or the ball hits the bat, but yet they would chalk a bat and he would tell them where the ball hit the bat, what part of the bat it hit, and they'd go chase the ball, and he was always right. So he had these tremendous peripheral processing or perceptual skills with this peripheral vision. Um, he just had a skill like that. So I would think that naturally these guys just were born with better skills than somebody else. You know, I even think about like World War One. these guys who flew these biplanes and they shot each other down and there'd always be the aces. They knew how to lead the other plane. They could calculate in a split second the distance where that plane was, how much to lead it. And you know, where the guys who shot right at the plane, the bullets went behind the plane, you know. So there's just people who had natural, more natural visual abilities than others, just like anything else. I know when I was in optometry school, we did the Howard Dolman apparatus to see stereopsis. Right. You yeah. remember, remember that, and I was at 99 percentile, and I'm a very, very good hitter. I'm not a good athlete, but I'm a really good hitter. Right. So maybe that correlates. <laughs> so, yeah, interesting to do studies like that. I mean, even like University of Cincinnati has done a baseball study where they did vision training, and they raised, I think, it was 34, 34, 35 points of team batting average, while the rest of the Big East dropped that year. And what's actually more interesting to me is they did another study with football players and concussions, and they trained their football teams, and they actually reduced their concussions significantly in players that had gone through vision training. So while we think about vision training being an important component of concussion vision rehabilitation or concussion rehabilitation, it actually was used in this case to prevent concussions. So maybe more emphasis should be given on vision training in football or even other sports because it prevents concussions. And it was very significant to reduce concussions year after year compared to five years before. Well, wow, that's fantastic. That's really fascinating. You yeah. know, I remember I, I, in my younger days, the Mets had a player, Howard Johnson. Right. He used to pull everything. He was a great hitter, but he never got the ball in play. He would hit all yeah. these foul ball home runs. He probably had esophoria. Right, exactly. That's what that would predict. And unfortunately, he didn't know about vision training. He could have been a much better hitter, I'm sure. Exactly. And, you know, when these players have these, these forays, especially if they fluctuate, it's very confusing. They're always trying to figure out, I got to swing a little earlier. I got to swing a little later. And, and you know, they bring thinking, thinking into the game. Or instead, it should be, just be that instinctive reflex, you know, vision to body. And They're getting training themselves. Would be yep. make it so so easy. Talk yeah. talk about golf. You're an expert in vision mm -hmm. and golf, and take us through what it's like for a golfer. How you can improve their uh, ability to putt or hit a drive. Usually, um, the biggest problems are alignment, reading the greens. So some of it's just even an awareness thing, where you know how they'll do parallel left or whatever. They put two sticks on the ground parallel to the hole, and you have to learn that perspective. I think we're better off putting the sticks out, standing up out of the ground in the direction of the hole, because that's the visual perspective you need, not where the two sticks are on the ground. As far as putting, uh, you know, in my book, I pretty much say, if you two putt every green, don't listen to a thing I'm telling you, because you're there, right? But if you're not, then yeah, vision training is probably the most effective thing at raising or, you know, lowering golf scores because of the greens and being able to read the greens and judge your distance. And um, 
things like that. So again, it's training the eye muscles to consistently read the greens. I teach techniques, you know, um, move your eyes from the ball to the hole to judge the distance because, you know, I'll have five players that tell me five different distances on the same shot. Uh, ball to hole to look for undulations in the green, you know, to read the contours of the green. And then ball to hole, the path, direction, and speed the ball will take to get there to help load the shot. And this is during a training phase. Once we get past that, it becomes automatic. Um, but I'll ask a player on level ground, normal, normal green, how long does it take for a 20-foot putt to go from the ball, from the club head, to the hole? And it's about 4.2 seconds is the answer. And then I ask them, well, if it's an uphill putt, will it take longer or shorter to get there? And I'll get several different answers for that. So, oh, it takes the same. Oh, it, it's, it's slower. You know, it's going uphill. It's going to be slower. And, oh, you know, and it's actually a three-second putt. It's going to take less time to get up the hill because you got to whack it harder or it doesn't make it up the hill. And downhill, it's about a seven-second putt. So factoring that into your pre-putt stimulus of running the eyes from the ball to the hole, the speed and the path that will take to get there, uphill less affected by brakes, downhill more affected by brakes. And you know, training your system like that, eventually you don't have to think about doing that anymore, but you start to be able to read the greens better and, and load, your shot, load your shots better by doing these type of activities and exercises. So what kind of exercises would you do for a putter? Um, I do think, depending on their weakness, I run tapes on the ground for distance judgments. We can, you know, 10, 12, 18 feet, mark off a foot on the tapes, run your eyes, you know, from over the ball, down this tape, it may be a foot per second or whatever, and learn how to get a cadence to really judge distance better. Um, I'll put tape on the ground and have the uh, golfer in a dress position over the tape, run their eyes up and down the tape. The other thing I do is I check, like I said, I like the dominant eye over the back tip of the ball with the eyes directly over the line of the putt, um, you know, along, you know, parallel to the line of the putt. And the way we'll check that is we'll put a player on level ground. This has to be over this tape that is the line of the putt and then slip a mirror in there on level ground. And he'll be able to see, he or she will see where are the eyes in relationship to the tape. And if you tend to have your eyes between your feet and a right-handed golfer between your feet and the line of the putt, you'll tend to misjudge the hole to the right or your target to the right. If your eyes are over the line, you'll tend to misjudge to the left. So you'll be missing your shots that way. So those are some of the training techniques we do besides the eye muscle training to make you more consistent at reading greens later in the game. Um, I forget, there's one female pro that, you know, would have a great nine holes and all of a sudden everything started missing short and to the right of where she was targeting. And these guys are usually pretty good at targeting their balls. I've watched them, you know, I was on the PGA Tour with transitions for a while. So I've watched these guys, they're consistent as heck at placing their balls anywhere they want. And um, she'd start missing short and to the right and it was because of a fluctuating foria. So strengthening her floria, she became more consistent. She was rookie of the year one year and now announced, I, I think it was Val Skinner had a problem like that. So it was the eye muscle exercises that straightened her out. You're doing the flippers and some of the other exercises. Yeah, and the virgins type thing. I, it wasn't me. It was, I think, Sue Laramie out in Wyoming or Colorado who worked with her. But that was the story of what was going on with her. And how about for hitting a drive? I mean, so many people have so much trouble hitting a driver. Yeah, well, I have that. I'm exophoric, you know, which means my eyes like to drift out. So I don't love to read. I swing late at pitches, you know, things like that. So um, when you're addressing the ball and you take your swing, you know, your eyes really have to converge on the ball and you have to perceive it at the proper distance to make contact with the club face, you know. So if you're exo and you're seeing it, the ball farther than it really is, maybe you're topping the ball. You know, if you're ESO, maybe you're getting under the ball. And if you're fluctuating, four is fluctuating, you're kind of inconsistent in how you strike the ball. So the part of it would be, you know, again, uh, stabilizing a foria so that your judgments of how far you are actually from that ball, um, you know, if there's a visual component there, yeah, you'll misjudge exactly the position distance from your eyes to the ball and go under or over it, top it. And this is something we could have improve with a vectorgram. 
If you could explain yeah. what a vectorgram is and how yeah. it works. Actually, funny you say that. I have one right here, and this is a vectorgram. I don't know if you can see it, but there's sure. a ring here, ring here. You wear polarized glasses so that only one eye sees this one, the other eye sees this one. They don't see them together unless the brain and the eyes put them together. So we'll start and say, okay, hold it, hold it together, hold it together. So now you might be converging the eyes. Go, oh, and it popped into two. That's where your eyes got weak and couldn't do it anymore. And do it the other direction. So I have systematic ways of doing this that are very specific. Like I had one athlete come to me and say, oh, I lost this. Some other doctor gave it to me. I'm on the bubble with the team. I'm not doing good. Can you get me another one? And I asked him to show me what he was doing. He said, oh, look, I can go this way all the way he was out here. I can hold it together all over here. But the other way, I can only go this little bit. I said, well, that's wrong. You're out of balance. It's like you have a really strong bicep with a weak tricep. You're not, you don't have a balance. So I instructed him to go into the weakest direction first. And let's say you could go to two, three, or four. And then go into the strong direction. Even if he could go to 30 or 40, stop at three or four. Go back into the weak direction. See if you can get a little more than three and four. And he slowly built up keeping it evenly exercised. And then he was um, able to actually, you know, got a signing bonus, Super Bowl ring, uh, record touchdowns, record yardage, after I just tweaked how he was using a, a simple instrument like that. And it's funny, you talk about like all the modern technology and a lot of guys are bringing that into the practice. I don't wanna say it's good or bad, I've used technology, but I'm kind of like old school. It's like, you know, the boxing gyms and the very basic how to train. And I found that when I was younger, I used to do an exercise called the Stairmaster for a half hour, you know. And then I went on a cruise ship and I could stay on the Stairmaster all day. I'd go on a cruise ship, go two flights of steps and go like, I'm winded. How come I'm winded? I'm on that Stairmaster in the gym. And, you know, you got to train with real stuff. You know, like Rocky ran up the steps. He wasn't on a Stairmaster, he ran up real steps. If you want to get good at climbing up and down steps, climb real steps. The gym machine didn't quite do it. So there's a lot of technology I use, but there's still some very basic, simple things that aren't huge investments if a doctor wants to go into this, where you don't need the fancy twenty dollars to $50,000 of equipment to be very effective at doing this. It's just understanding the system and what you have to train. When people are reading the greens or they're playing this sport, what kind of sunglasses, what kind of tint should they have? That's a really good question. I was involved when I was with Transitions with Callaway designing uh, the Neox lens. And their biggest question to me was, should it be polarized or non-polarized? And after I told them the advantages and disadvantages of both, we decided non-polarized. Because polarization, reading the greens, tends to flatten the undulations in the greens. It's harder to read the greens. And I found that out early in my career where I'd start, you know, everybody said, oh, polarized, best thing under the sun. I started to give it to a couple of golfers and they brought them back. Can't read the greens with these things. So, you know, if your problem is following the flight of the ball and you don't care about reading greens as much, you can try a polarized lens. But if you're a serious golfer and you want to read those greens better, and again, not 100% for 100% of the people, 100% of the time, but most players will read the greens better without the polarization being in the lens. How about for baseball, what kind of, what kind of tint should they have? Um, you know, it's going to change dependent on situations, night games, day games. You want to improve contest. You want to decrease glare. Um, grays tend to be true color. I have, you know, with golfers, they like the ambers a lot. There were contact lenses that used to be out years ago that were like, I forget what colors they were, blue and brown and to enhance baseball, but they kind of fell out of the market. Um, What's interesting about that is you don't see a lot of ball players wearing sunglasses or you don't, you know, with the PGA Tour, our push with them was like, oh, protect the eyes from ultraviolet. They didn't wear, they didn't want to wear the glasses, especially where they were putting. And if you look at tennis players, very rarely, besides maybe an Arthur Ashe, will you see them wearing glasses. And the thought is that when the message is going from, you know, the object into the eyes to the brain, that the lens actually slows it down a slight bit the transmission of what they're seeing a slight bit. So you'll find that, you know, especially the fast tennis, you know, how fast that ball's going. Even baseball pitches, 90, 100 miles an hour, you'll tend to see less guys wearing sunglasses because it may slow down the message into the brain. 
I'm always surprised when I do see a major league baseball player wearing sunglasses. Yeah. If it's and again, their performance. Right. Everybody's different. So I don't say it's 100% of the time for 100% of the people, you know, the same thing. You may have a player that's very affected by glare. You know, we talked about macular pigment. Some people may have more or less pigment in the back of their eye. The more pigment, the less affected by glare and sunlight. Uh, the less pigment, you know, the, the light bounces around the back of the eye without the pigment. Think about a black, black car versus a white car. Black car absorbs a lot of heat, right? because it's absorbing the rays of the sun where a white car bounces off. So if you have a lot of pigment in the back of the eye, theoretically, you'd have less need for sunglasses in brighter conditions. So everybody's different. So do you recommend any kind of foods to increase macular pigment or any type of supplement? Um, the, there's pretty standard stuff. I forget, Xian. I can't pronounce uh, it. The zeaxanthin and the lutein. Yeah, the, the lutein and, and all of that. Yeah, so we'll have guys, you know, go into that. There used to actually be a baseball-specific formula that one company had that I forget. I think Zeavision, maybe. Zeavision and MacuHealth, maybe. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah but that's a big part of what you, that what you do. Uh, no, I'm basically, you know, the gym. I'm basically, can I just get that message to go from the eyes to the body? and create that instinctive reflex to be faster. You know, even in driving, they've um, discovered University of Alabama, they took senior drivers and by doing, they called it useful field of view, but it was training this peripheral processing system on a computer, they reduced car accidents up to 50% and improved braking distance 22 feet at 55 miles an hour by training the eyes. It was more effective than driver simulation training or practicing more driving was just to create the vision system being more effective, faster into the brain, and noticing more things with your peripheral vision and reacting to them more quickly actually created safer drivers. So with the vision training, you know, I'm old school. That's kind of my, the way I operate is, can I just improve the instinctual reflex, whether it's driving safety? I work with the police. They reduce their car accidents. They're having 1.6 car accidents a day in Palm Beach County with county vehicles. Um, so, you know, it's almost like, I don't say it's always training the same thing, but it's really just going to create a reflex, hitting a ball, staying out of a car accident. That's how I look at it more than, you know, the pigments and, you know, working with the physical eyeball. I guess like we talked about before, 70% of the brain's real estate it comes from the eye. Comes from the eyes, yeah. And, you know, we think about the, the message going from the eyes back into the brain. I think they've identified maybe nine pathways where the brain goes to the eyes to help mediate and modulate things. You know, so it's a very interesting system, very dynamic system. And again, modern eye care is still about reading a Snellen acuity chart from the Civil War, you know. And that's, you know, I've actually had people that are not as comfortable in the clearest prescription I can give them. Because think about it, if I'm making the center very, very clear, sometimes it tunnels their vision. And we had two athletes that did better uncorrected than when their vision was fixed. And one was a downhill um, gold medal slalom skier going between the gates. And when they gave this guy contacts and made him a clear 2020, it slowed him down because he started looking from, you know, from gate to gate more and moving his eyes more instead of whooshing down with his side vision. And the other guy was the bobsled driver, had a corneal disease, so he was blurry. And they used to say, well, how do you drive the bobsled? You're, you're so blurry. He said, well, I go down by feel. And you and I know it wasn't feel. If he closed his eyes, he wouldn't do it. It was his peripheral processing. So they, they fixed his corneas and made them clear. It slowed him down. And he actually would take you know something and scuff up the front of his mask a little bit so he could like blur out that center vision to help him get back, you know, it caused him tunnel vision, help him get back into the peripheral system, which was his guidance system for driving that bobsled. So, you know, there's more division than meets the eye chart, is what I like to say. And some people are better balanced with sharper acuity. Some people are better balanced with a soft focus, I call it, you know, so that they can be more aware of the periphery. Incredibly interesting. Uh, talk about cyclists, how we can improve their vision, what they have to worry about. They're, they're, they're speeding along at 50, yeah. 60 miles an hour. How sure. do we improve their side vision and, and their well, overall performance? Well, again, probably the same way I 
you know, improve anybody's side vision through these awareness and these drills and these tips. But think about it. You've seen them on TV. They're like a school of fish. You've seen a school of fish, right? They all go the same direction at the same time. These cyclists have to go and do that too, or they're going to bump into each other. And that's a peripheral vision activity that they're able to do that. You know, they're not turning their head and looking at the, you know, the, the riders on either side of them. It's very instinctive. And because of that, you know, when I was with Transitions, we took the Garmin Transition cycling team and some of the guys said, oh, I travel with 11 pair of sunglasses, depending on conditions. I have to wear different sunglasses. They were able to get down to two or three because they had lenses that would darken and lighten, you know, or change color in different lighting conditions. So part of that is if you can relax a squint, you have more peripheral vision, right? Think about it. you squint your eyes, you're blocking off peripheral processing which is a protection navigation guidance system, right? So one of the activities with, or one of the things I do with cyclists is let's make sure you're wearing a comfortable set of lenses where you can keep the eye relaxed, have more peripheral vision. And then the rest is these peripheral vision activities so that you can be aware of how the school of fish are moving and stay within the school of fish. And I had one other guy who was a triathlete who came to me and you know came from a doctor who gave him 2020 vision and all that. He says, I'm scared when I ride my bike in events now because I really can't see in front of my bike, you know, for rocks or, or different things that might throw them off. And so for him, I adjusted a prescription where I didn't want him clear a mile down the road. I wanted 15, you know, whatever it was, some kind of intermediate prescription where I'm prescribing more for 15, 20 feet so that he can have a little more mid-range um, to ride his bike. And he felt more safe doing that and participating participating in this event like that. So it's not always about the clearest 2020, 2010 vision. I can get somebody with a lens. It's functional. It's performance. Where do you need to perform in your world? You know, where, you know, we can have shooters, you know, what do we do with an older shooter? Let's make the front sight clear. So we make the front sight clear with a lens instead of the target clear and they can't see the sights on the gun. So it's more about thinking about what people have to perform, whether it's prescribing like that, whether it's exercises, making an athlete aware of his system, uh, it's all encompassing. And I love it. It's like solving puzzles. Everyone who comes into me, it's like a puzzle. I leave an hour for an exam. Sometimes my ideas don't hit me until 40 minutes into the exam where I go, aha, this is what we have to do for you. You know, and it, so it's a very exciting kind of practice, you know, as opposed to just turning the lenses and making someone clear with the glasses all day. I know the Olympic teams mm -hmm. do a lot of sports vision. Can you yep. talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I was at the 96 uh, Olympic Vision Center where we were screening the athletes where Bosch and Lohm was doing the study. And they all came through. And it was interesting because at that time, you know, I was young, younger. And um, I always thought like, you know, of course, baseball, hockey, you know, the first players that worked with, with this one practice, they were hockey players and goalies, you know, probably may have even started all this stuff. And um, Michael Johnson, the runner, came through. And I was surprised to learn that he had done vision training as well. And I thought, well, a runner, what does he need vision training for? And he felt that if he had to make a flick of an eye movement to judge his lane or see where other players, other runners were, it cost him a few hundredths or thousandths of a second. And in his game, at his level, he couldn't afford that. So he actually did peripheral vision training so he wouldn't have to move his eyes to know efficiently where the lane and other runners were. So it just broadened my interest. But yeah, you're right. The uh, Olympic athletes, a lot of the teams, whether they're shooters, baseball teams, um, you know, it's pretty much infiltrated a lot into Olympic athletes. I don't want to leave out the football players that are listening to this. I remember Wesley Walker, you know, he had glaucoma and he had one eye and they yeah. always, he had bad hands, but it was really yeah. good, couldn't see what kind of, or you get a quarterback and they don't, they say he doesn't see the field. Can you talk about some of the things you do with football players? Sure. Again, depending on the player, you know, with the quarterback, it's about can we enhance peripheral vision so they don't have to make five eye movements before they throw the ball. They can pick it all up in the periphery. Um, the one football player I mentioned, or the athlete I mentioned, where the vectorgram, where it was all out of kilter the way he was doing, he was a receiver for the Ravens. I think I mentioned him. And uh, just by tweaking those exercises, he you know, proved his uh, receptions, touchdowns, yardage, everything, and, you know, was kept on the team, signing bonus, where he was really on the bubble with the team and, uh, you know, made millions of dollars and has a Super Bowl ring today. So, you know, that's how I work with him. So every position's a little different, you know, how you're going to work with a guy, but it's all still the same. A lot of it's the peripheral processing 
And again, like I say, you know, the quarterback, are we going to make four, five, ten eye movements? You know, are we going to like, our periphery is going to pick up where we want to move the eye to and then take the shot, let's say. The same thing with police work I do. You know, if a guy goes into a room with a weapon, they're taught to make fixations, you know, to look, make your eye movement here, 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 taking the whole scene, right? So if I can improve the speed of that eye movement, as well as the peripheral processing and what he picks up and the identification with the peripheral system, I have an officer who's safer. And the Palm Beach Sheriff's Office feels that vision training saves lives. You know what I mean? They never even asked me for a study, not one study. They just instinctually, these guys knew, if we improve the skill, we're gonna save lives. And um, so it's just interesting stuff. So again, in football, it would be the same thing as maybe the officer, you know, with a quarterback, he's got a, Peripheral vision's got to hone in on something, boom, move the eye there and the ball there. You know? Talk about how you make that fixation faster, some of the exercises you may do. Well, they're saccadic exercises. So again, you know, we talk, I talk about so much about the peripheral processing. If I want to look from you to something else here, my eyes have to move there, right? Two to 300 milliseconds. The stimulus for them to land in the right place is your peripheral system. So it's still all about peripheral processing. I want to do specific exercises where someone has to change their fixation, you know, find different targets with their eyes, make them faster. And again, what makes their eyes go from one target to the other and land in the right place is saccadic fixation from the peripheral system as the stimulus. And it said that the human eye, when I look from one thing to the other, the human eye does undershoot and correct. In other words, it gets almost there and makes a corrective movement. If I can train the eyes to get there without that undershoot and corrective movement, it's faster. Can I bring it down to 200 milliseconds instead of 300 milliseconds? When the officer goes in or the quarterback has to make these faster eye movements, can he now complete one or two more per second than he used to by eliminating that undershoot? Explain what your office looks like. Is it like an eye gym? Um, it used to be, I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm semi-retired now. So I work out of, I call it OPO, other people's overhead. So I'm out of an office where two other eye doctors own it. I go in two days a week. I have Sharon with me, uh, for over 15 years. She's there four days a week. And, um, you know, so I see, have the luxury of seeing five, six patients a day, two days a week. I go into a skilled nursing home where I do, you know, vision rehab. And um, it's very simple now. And I've learned to have very simple solutions for people. So, you know, a lot of vision therapy practices, everybody goes in the vision therapy room and they need 30 hours of therapy and there's therapists working there where I have found that I can do pretty effective things with specialty therapeutic lenses. There's something called yoked prisms, which work on the peripheral processing and come up with simple solutions. Like I told you, these ball players, where I give them one or two exercises instead of saying, oh, you need to come in and have a therapist do, you know, an hour worth of X, Y, Z and all these different exercises. Well, really, your weak areas are this, just do this. You know, it's more functional, different than a developmental case with a kid who has a lot of, you know, visual spatial problems and things like that. So I've learned very simple solutions. I rely on my software product, the iPerformance product, and, um, can do a lot remotely based these days instead of doing everything like in the office for hours and hours and you know taking months. Talk about what your eye performance product does, you know, uh, all the different techniques. And yeah, the right now my legacy product has eight different elements on it. So there's elements that work on eye movement control, saccadic fixations, gaze control, the police call it. I have vergences, which are where you wear the 3D glasses, red and blue, and things move apart. You have to use the eye muscles to hold them together. So it strengthens strength, flexibility, stamina, the eye muscles. Um, there's one element called dynamic acuity, you know, or like, like Doug Jennings, who was 2010, but he couldn't see when it was moving 90 miles an hour, right? So dynamic acuity is a baseball coming at you with different spins and, you know, at 40, 60 or 90 miles an hour, can you identify the spin and react within two tenths of a second? Um, so just all these training elements that train the instinctive reflex, how fast vision goes into the brain and how fast your body responds. And there's a few other elements there too that we use with kids and OTs use it. You know, like I said, the ball teams, I've had the police use it. And um, we treat people all over the world people in South America using it where we can remotely set them up with it and just 
you know, it's pretty self-explanatory or we just go over the phone with them, what you have to do to do it. So I rely on that a lot. And I'm actually, that's my legacy product. I'm, I'm rebuilding it now in a new format, which we're looking maybe four to six months of having it where you can do it on um, more, you know, more devices than just the computer. And I saw that Steph Curry uses strobe glasses. Mm -hmm. What exactly is that and how does that benefit the athlete? Well, think about it. That's working again with peripheral processing, right? Because the strobe is like, you know, it's like, you know what a strobe light is from, used to go to clubs when I was younger and they'd have strobe light while you were dancing, you know, and you see the images all shake around. So it's like on, off, on, off, on, off. I've had ball players work with that in rooms and then they start to make glasses that do that where they're kind of like shutters where it's like open, close, open, close, open, close very quickly, milliseconds. And you learn how to react, you know, having a catch like that. And I think there's a lot of things that work in vision therapy. It's not like you have to have that to do vision therapy. It's like, you know, your choices may all be right. You know, there's, there's a bunch of ways to skin a cat when we're doing vision training. Um, so, but strobe glasses basically work by, you know, and you don't want to do it if you have seizures or anything like that, of course, but uh, they work by, you know, on, off, on, off, on, off with what you're seeing in the world. And hopefully that helps you develop that instinctive reflex a little better or slows down the game. It's all about slowing down the game, right? You know, how about balance, balance beams and yep. doing techniques with on a balance beam or yeah, all types of stuff like that. I mean, we call it, you know, you can load the activity, you can dummy it down. I mean, an advanced activity on a balance beam was, can I, can I have an athlete doing heel to toe back and forth on a balance beam while someone's throwing bean bags at him from either side while he's looking straight ahead and he's batting him away with his peripheral vision. And we have him maybe doing math problems that we're shouting out to him in his head. So there's all kinds of activities that work on all these type of things. But the end goal is creating an instinctive reflex that's more consistent, doesn't require any thinking in the brain, ball comes at you, you hit it, batting average goes up. You know, and we've done that with a lot of players. It's all about think about it. It's like you don't think about it. It's just vision to body and is it successfully done. And for baseball players, they do use this light rail predictive cicade. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your opinion of that? Is is that beneficial? Well, I don't know that like I'm sold on that because it's on the ground, right? Yeah. So like an, a, a light coming towards you on the ground when you're looking out where a baseball would be, I don't think it's as specific, but I'm not going to put it down because it's working with your periphery then. So anything that tunes up the peripheral processing into the body. So I would say my own when I look at it superficially, I go like, well, what's the value of having a light traveling on the ground towards you when a baseball comes through the air? But again, maybe it has value because, you know, if you work with the peripheral system, which is what it is, then it, you know, I just don't have experience with it to know. But that's just my quick thinking with it. So if somebody wants to get involved with a, an optometrist who does sports vision, how could they go about doing that? That's a good question. I mean, the American Optometric Association has a sports vision section that they can look to them. There's uh, different sports vision uh, associations. Uh, there's an organization called COVD, College of Optometrists and Vision Development. COVD.org has a website where you can put in your zip code and find fellowship trained uh, vision therapy experts, but not all of them are for sports. Some of them are for developmental problems with kids. Some of them are more like you know, head injury, stroke rehabilitation. So you can find resources there. Um, to me, you know, it's a modern world. A lot of people find me because they just Google sports vision training and my name comes up and they read my website and they go, oh, okay, yeah, this sounds pretty cool, what I'm looking for. So yeah, I would say just Google it. So if somebody wants to find, find you and wants to buy your book or the, 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 that uh, I uh, focus that you're, right. you've developed, how could they go about doing that? Well, a few different ways. You can just, um, if you, Dr. Lawrence Lampert, or my website is drlampert.com, D-R-L-A-M-P-E-R-T.com. And, you know, there'll be, a, you know, where you can uh, email me. My email is drlampert at AOL. I know I'm an old guy. I have an AOL account, but that's, I could get my name on it. Anything else, my name was already taken. Um, you know, the office, you know, in, in Boynton Beach actually now is where my office is now. 
um, just, just kind of Google me or look me up. Well, Dr. Lambert, great information. You're a wealth of knowledge. You have all these years of experience. You've helped so many athletes. And hopefully through this podcast, you're going to help some of our viewers. Well, thank, thank you so much for joining us today. Look forward. Thank you. The premium kit for dry eye treatment. The premium choice for your patients. Introducing the Eye Doctor Plus. The hot and cold eye compress treatment kit, with antibacterial shield, washable cover and eyelid wipes. Visit 1-800-OPTI-SOURCE and type code open your eyes for a special promo. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.